Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, everyone. Before we start today's episode, a quick reminder to send your questions and comments to unfinished at stitcher.com. We've already got some great voice memos and emails that we'll respond to in a bonus episode. Send yours to unfinished at stitcher.com. And remember, if you want to binge all the episodes of this season right now, subscribe to Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com or the premium tab in your Stitcher app and sign up with the code WITNESS for a free month of premium listening. You'll get to hear all 10 episodes of Unfinished Short Creek right now, plus ad-free listening to all Stitcher and Earwolf shows. And you'll play a key role in supporting the kind of reporting it takes to make this show. That's stitcherpremium.com, promo code WITNESS for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Witness Docs from Stitcher. This is Dania and Joe Jessup, singing together in a community pageant. This was back in 1990, when Rulin Jeffs was prophet. Donnie and Joe met a few years before this, when they were in high school. Well, we're kind of little shits. <laughs> um, Joe and I wrote notes back and forth, and we had a little place we would hide a note. And, and then I was in a high school play. He came up to help with the play, and we would sneak down in the costume room and make out for a while. And I missed my cue once going on stage during the last production. <laughs> So adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Danya and Joe were young and in love, so they started dating. But remember, in the FLDS church, dating is forbidden. We snuck out for about 10 months, and then we were caught. And we were taken before Roland Jeffs, and he told us that we were meant to be together, and he would have done that. But because we did it on our own, he would make an example out of us and hold us up to the community that he's not going to put up with this shit. In Short Creek, the prophet is in charge of arranging marriages. But Dania and Joe had disobeyed. So Rulin refused to marry them in the church 
for an entire year. Donia and Joe had a courthouse wedding, but they weren't married spiritually, which is what counted. In the first um, 10 years of our marriage, we were severely shunned by the community because Roland did hold us up as an example, and he told many people those two did their own thing. We had our first child in that first year, and when our baby was born, then he got up in church again and talked about this couple that was married only by the law and went ahead and had a baby anyway. And so then we were shunned all over again since we were the only couple that just had a baby. So it was very difficult, the shame that I felt from people being snubbed or shunned. And I, I just kept thinking, well, this is what you get. This is the punishment you deserve for doing your own marriage and not being appointed. How did that impact your relationship with Joe? Uh, very, very difficult. Um, I blame myself for having his priesthood stripped from him. He had his priesthood stripped from him. Well, yeah. When you're married by the law and not by the church, then you lose your priesthood. So he didn't get to go to priesthood meeting. We tried to hide that fact. Everybody knew, but nobody talked about it. But like he would stay home on Sunday mornings and I would go over to my mom's house to help make breakfast. And Joe would stay home and he'd get dressed in his suit and everything. And then he'd come over to breakfast the same time all the rest of the men would. But everybody knew he didn't go to priesthood meeting, but we just didn't talk about it. And uh, what happened is I dug my feet in so firmly because I was going to prove to Uncle Roland that I was worthy and I would be a good wife, a good mother. And I was proving also to God himself that I was worthy. And during that time that you were part of the church, um, were you were you placed with any other wives? No. No. And in fact, we were told that if you if we were good and proved that we were worthy, that we were like Sarah and Abraham. Abraham, yeah. Um, and that we would have the full blessings of Sarah and Abraham. Um, but when Warren came in, then we had a conversation with Warren, and he said, that'll never happen. You weren't married right. And for me, that was the ultimate, if he doesn't have three wives, he doesn't go to the highest celestial kingdom of glory. And so what did that feel like? To me, I felt like, well, we don't have a future anyway, because I can't exalt you by making sure you have three wives. So what's the point anyway? So it really, that hope of being completely in was just completely lost. Rulin and Warren Jeffs had always had power over Donia and Joe's lives. But in 2006, Warren Jeffs went to prison. And at that point, what did you believe about Warren? Oh, that he was um, set up by the government, that they had planted evidence on him that he was the true prophet of God because he was persecuted. He was as Joseph Smith. Um, in a prison. I very much was convinced of that. When Warren Jeffs went to prison, a lot of people outside Short Creek thought he would lose his grip on the community. But that's not what happened. In today's episode, the imprisoned prophet demands even more from his followers. And faithful members like Donia Jessup find their loyalty pushed to the limit. I'm Sarah Ventry. I'm Ash Sanders. From Witness Docs and Critical Frequency, this is Unfinished Short Creek. 
Episode 6. This one's for you, Gramsci. The Lord God of heaven came to my prison cell two days ago. By 2011, Warren Jeffs was in a maximum security prison in Palestine, Texas, more than a thousand miles from his followers in Short Creek. But not even prison could stop Warren from controlling the community. Visitors snuck in microphones so he could record his revelations. And they piped his sermons into the meeting house over the phone. Give this to all the priesthood people's message to you. In just a few months, Warren spent $23,000 on phone cards. From his cell, Warren commanded leaders to kick certain people out of the church and continued issuing rules and edicts for FLDS to obey. He also wrote his followers letters, and they wrote back. At one point, he was receiving more than 1,000 pieces of mail a day. But there was only so much Warren could do through letters and phone calls. He needed a man on the ground to lead while he couldn't be there. So he appointed his younger brother, Lyle Jeffs. Lyle was Warren's yes-man. And in 2011, only a few months after Warren was convicted in Texas, Lyle Jeffs did something no Short Creek leader had done before. He commanded FLDS members to turn all their businesses over to the church. And it wasn't just the businesses. Lyle also told FLDS in Short Creek that everything they owned belonged to the church. Um, Lyle got up. I'll never forget how th- what he said and how it felt, but he got up and he said, Life as you know it is now over. The Lord has called us to live the United Order. The United Order, or UO, wasn't new. Remember, back in the early days, the UO was supposed to be about sharing land and community resources. Everybody's on equal ground. Everybody gets the same house. Everybody gets the same service. Everybody works and turns everything into the storehouse. Everybody lives off the storehouse. We're all equal. But under Warren and Lyle Jeffs, the United Order became something else completely. They essentially stood up in church and told everyone that everything belonged to the Lord and that they would require all of us, to write down everything we had. This is Miriam Jessup. She and her husband, George, are around the same age as Donia and Joe. And you were to submit this tally every month of everything you had, every single item in your home on a piece of paper in order to consecrate it to the Lord. And then they made you actually bring your possessions into the storehouse? Like everything? Everything you didn't absolutely need for 30 days. You had to bring. You were supposed to consecrate to the storehouse, and then they would give you some back, right? And you had to go there on a weekly basis and pick up what you needed, what what you felt like you needed for the week or well, for the two weeks or whatever. They would, they would decide what yeah. you needed. They would decide for you and tell you that you know there wasn't enough of that to go around, so you couldn't have honey this month, or you couldn't, you know. And it was sometimes like food, toilet, everything, clothing, shampoo, toothpaste, all of it. It's ridiculous. I mean, count your tampons, okay? This is how serious they were getting. Count your Q-tips. It felt like something that was just labor-intensive to get our minds off of what was really going on. What was really going on was way more serious than Q-tips and tampons. Because under the new UO, it wasn't just your stuff you could lose. 
everyone was required to go to an interview with Lyle. Yeah. Where you were judged at whether or not your family was worthy to go in the United Order. If it was determined that your family couldn't go in the United Order, like, so then what? What does that mean? We've watched families where they'll allow half of them go in and half of them not in. And so they say, okay, Dad, you take these ones. And go you, live over here. And Mom, you take these ones and you go live over here. So it's just another way to split everybody up. As each family went into their interview with Lyle, they knew that if they weren't accepted into the UO, they could be separated from their spouse or their children. Before going to talk to Lyle, everyone had to fill out a questionnaire assessing their worthiness. I don't know if you've seen the sheets, but they just have um, personal questions. They were asking these kids questions. They were coming up to me, Mom, what does it mean to whatever? I don't even remember the words, but they were personal words. Like, do you handle yourself? <laughs> They're six, you know, please give my child a break. They're barely learning to read. And they were coming up to me. Do I have anything to confess, Mom? An eight-year-old. And I'm like, everybody bring me your papers. Bring them to me. When I realized what they were asking. Excuse me. These are innocent children here. Miriam was dreading this interview. And across town, Dania was feeling the same anxiety. Despite all her efforts to be good, she and her family had never measured up in the church. And now she was supposed to sit in front of Lyle to be judged. And what happened then when, like, when the, the United Order started having interviews and stuff like that? What happened with you and Joe? So Joe was um, interviewed first because all the dads were interviewed first. And when he came home from his interview, I'm like, so are you in? Because if he wasn't in, I knew our family would be torn apart. Because if every single person wasn't in, then that, you, the family would be torn apart. And I said, so are you in? And he's like, you just need to mind your business and wait and see. Because you weren't told if you were out. You just got a phone call if you were in. Well, after three days and no phone call, I'm like, you've got to call Uncle Lyle. Please call Uncle Lyle. And I was panicking because I didn't want our family torn apart. And Joe just kept saying, I am not calling him. No, I won't do it. So when it came time for our family to go be taken, to be judged, I called it Judgment Day, um, I was... Four days away from having my last child, our appointment was at 11.30 at night, and we sat in that building waiting for our appointment until 5.30 in the morning. And then we each went in one by one, and Lyle just shook our hand and asked one question, are you clean and pure? Are you clean and pure? That was Lyle's way of asking if people were following Warren's rules. For years, everybody in Short Creek had been told to avoid contact with the outside world. No internet, no TV, no news. And now, husbands and wives weren't supposed to be alone together, ever. Warren made sex between married people a sin, part of his new purity test. And I had done my work. Like, if I was in a store at Christmas time and there was jingle bells playing over the sound system, then I would sing, We Thank the O God for Our Prophet, in my mind, so I wouldn't hear or sing the Christmas carols. I didn't look at billboards, I didn't look at magazines, I didn't watch TV, I didn't... I mean, I was so, so strict. Dania made every sacrifice the church asked of her, including her family. When her son questioned the faith and refused to follow the rules, the bishop urged Joe to kick their son out. 
Joe gave him one last chance to turn back to the church. But when he didn't, Joe obeyed and kicked out his own son. So when he asked me that question, are you clean and pure? I said, yes, sir, I am. When the family was done being interviewed, that next day, we got a phone call that my nine-year-old daughter was chosen to be a part of the UO. And that was it. That was it. Just one daughter was chosen. Dania, Joe, and their nine other children didn't qualify. According to the church, Dania was no longer worthy to care for her own daughter. And I had to tell my daughter at nine years old, you're going to go somewhere and you can't tell me where you're going. And you can't tell me anything that happens or what they say. After the break, Dania's faith reaches its breaking point. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. There isn't one family that wasn't affected by that, by the United Order. Every family was split up on some level. So it was an extremely difficult time. This entire town cried for an entire year. I don't think the weepings ever actually stopped. When Donia's daughter was chosen for the United Order and the rest of her family wasn't, something happened to Donia. Something that had never really happened before. She started to doubt the church. At the same time, the church was asking FLDS faithful to cast away all of their doubts and to shun anyone who refused. They were warning us to not listen to the media or apostates. That's when they said that if we listened to an apostate for more than two seconds, we'd lose our testimony. I, that ate on me for so long, and I thought, you know, two seconds of a lie could not possibly touch a truth. But two seconds of a truth could completely demolish a lie. So why could two seconds talking to an apostate destroy my testimony? 
unless my testimony is based on a lie. And that just, I don't know, it made me so curious to what was going on. But Dania didn't act on her doubts. Instead, she tried to settle into this new situation, even if it meant sending her nine-year-old daughter, Joanne, to secret meetings. I taught all my children that if anybody ever told you to not tell mom or dad, then that's the time that you run and tell mom and dad. And I had to tell my daughter, you're going to go somewhere and you can't tell me where you're going. And you can't tell me anything that happens or what they say. And it was so confusing to her. She could not understand how she could go somewhere by herself and then me tell her to not tell me what happened. It was truly the hardest day I've ever lived through. Um, She was taken day after day after day just randomly because meetings were called at any time on any day. Donia's sister-in-law had also been chosen for the United Order, and she was the one taking Joanne to meetings. One day, I had just had my baby, so I was up to Hilldale recovering, and Joanne disappeared. And she was gone for the entire day, and Joe was calling everywhere looking for Joanne. And her, our sister-in-law that was in charge of her had just come and taken her, taken her to an eight-hour meeting. So when she brought her back, Joe just lost it. Joe said, don't you ever, ever come and take my child again. Dania and Joe had grown up in a church that preached the importance of family. But now their church leaders, Warren and Lyle Jeffs, were tearing families apart. Dania's sister was in the UO and was now responsible for Joanne. And her sister's kids were saying that Joanne should come and live at their house. And I was combing my hair and my daughter was sitting in the rocking chair next to me and she was sobbing. She said, do I have to go live with Aunt Deidre? I said, do you want to go live with Aunt Deidre? And she yelled at me. She says, I want to live with my family. And it was like a board whacked me upside the head. It was like the light turned on for me. And I went into Joe's room, who I had not been in his room, and just threw his door open and said, I will not split this family up. And he said, can we talk? Because of Warren's rules about married couples, Donia and Joe slept in different rooms. And the culture of fear Warren created meant that even a couple like them, who used to talk honestly with each other, hadn't really talked in years. At some point, Joe had learned about Warren's crimes at the YFZ ranch. And so he started to tell me just a little bit of what happened in Texas. And I'm just like, my first reaction was, how far back does the lie go? So Warren's a liar. Was Roland a liar? Was Uncle Roy a liar? John Y. Barlow a liar? Is Joseph Smith a liar? Is everybody just a bunch of liars? Is this just filth all the way through? Because when you start to question, you don't know where to stop questioning. I was never fundamentalist, but I was Mormon. And I know how Donia feels. My whole life, I tried to be good and do everything my prophet said. Growing up, I learned to revere Joseph Smith. On my family's church history road trip, I visited the jail where Joseph was killed. I was just 12 then, but I cried for the prophet. I'm thankful for the prophet Joseph Smith that he could have the faith to stand through persecutions and so that we could have this religion today, and I'm thankful to live in the latter days. So. But around the time I started college at the church-run Brigham Young University, 
I started having questions about whether Joseph Smith was the good guy that everyone told me he was. I knew I wasn't supposed to have these questions, and I definitely wasn't supposed to try to find answers to them. In Mormonism, we were always taught that people who question the church are anti-Mormon, out to destroy our testimonies. But one day, as I was passing a public library, I went inside on an impulse and cleared the whole shelf of anti-Mormon literature. I took the books back to my parents' house, and I read all night. And the stories I read were not at all like the stories I'd grown up learning. I learned that for the last several years of his life, Joseph had been living polygamy in secret, marrying and having affairs with 40 women, some of them as young as 14, without even telling his first wife, Emma. And when his old friend criticized him for it in the newspaper, Joseph sent a posse of 100 men to destroy the man's printing press. In church, I'd grown up bearing my testimony about Joseph. I'd say, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, and I know this church is true. But sitting in my parents' living room, I understood. The lie went all the way back. Before I knew what I was doing, I threw the book I was reading across the room. It hit the wall hard, leaving a mark that's there to this day. My brother came into the room to see what was wrong. I'm never going to church again, I said. Like Dania, I'd listen to two seconds of truth, and that truth would change my life. Oh, it was tears, and I, I just wanted him to keep talking. I was like, just tell me more, tell me more, and then I couldn't take any more. It was like, just stop. And he's like, it's okay. I'll only tell you what, what you want me to tell you. And, but I didn't ask him for proof. I didn't say, you show me on the internet where that is. I'm just like, it all resonated too true. Everything, all the pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together for me because I had had questions that I had put on the shelf. And then when the answers started to come in, then it was like, oh my gosh, this just makes sense now. And then what did you do? Um, I laid low because I didn't want anybody to know that I knew because I didn't want anybody to, to not have anything to do with me or, or that, any of that. Donia lay low for a month, but that didn't matter. Her family wasn't in the UO. They weren't worthy. And eventually, the shunning turned to harassment. The people that we were very closest to are now walking past our house and yelling. The kids are yelling, we wish you weren't apostate so you could go for a walk with us. And truckloads of kids going by yelling apostate. It was just, it was like living in hell. <laughs> because this community that I'd worked so hard to be a part of and to build up, now I was completely shunned from all of it. And my children were also. Everyone was, was judging each other, but nobody had any footing, any hold for what they were doing. Everybody was just lost. Our community was lost. Our hearts were being ripped out over and over and over to where we almost become immune to, to people being sent away. It was like they were just, felt like just death. Every day there was more death. In October of 2013, Dania and Joe Jessup packed up their house in Short Creek. 
They left their family, their friends, their jobs, and moved an hour away, just outside of St. George. After years of rejecting the outside world, they were in it. And after years of being devout FLDS, they had to learn how to become not so FLDS. The week of of Halloween, 2013, and my kids asked, do we get to dress up and celebrate Halloween? I said, no, we don't. And they're like, we don't? And I'm like, I don't know, go ask your dad. And he's like, yeah, we are. I'm like, we are? (laughs) So it was all so brand new. Everything was just so foreign to me. So we dressed our kids up and went trick-or-treating that first time, and they just had a ball. Joe dressed up as a biker. Which is not really a costume for him. Well, it was at the time. Okay. He didn't even... He didn't An even, aspirational <laughs> costume. Yeah, he, he didn't even own a bike at the time, but I think it was Halloween that kind of put him on that track. Okay. Now he owns several bikes. <laughs> and I was he's, like, my recollection of him is that it's this every day, yeah. Yeah, he started to grow his ponytail about, you know, right after we left the church. <laughs> now he's got a long ponytail. The kids we allowed to dress up whatever they wanted to. And so some were ghouls and goblins, and one was a... Uh, little butterfly. And then I stayed home. I think I donned a witch's hat. But yeah, I was feeling very out of my comfort zone doing that. I'm curious. Um, I grew up Mormon and left Mormonism. And that period after is always really, really, really weird, you know, mm-hmm. because technically you're out, but you still can't let go of some things. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about What was that like for you? Like, what were some things you still believed? What were some things you were wrestling with? Well, that was kind of interesting because my sister, I only had one sister that actually come and talked to me and said, are you leaving? And I told her, yes, I am. And she says, but why would you leave? And I said, I will not tear my family apart. And things aren't right. Things, I don't know what's right and what's wrong anymore, but things certainly are not right here. And she said, well, just don't go off the deep end. And I says, well, what does that mean? She said, don't pierce your ears and cut your hair because I want to still be able to talk to you. And I told her, I'll tell you what, I will pierce my ears and cut my hair if I choose to. But I won't unless it's my choice. So I think it took me two years before I actually cut my hair shorter. Like I would go to my beautician, I'd say, just take just just a little bit off, like four inches. Understand my hair was below my butt. Make it so I can still comb it up if I see my family, my FLDS family, because I want to be accepted. So about every two months, she'd take a little more off and a little more off. Now now I wish sometimes I'd have left a little on. But, <laughs> but um, it was nine months before I pierced my ears. And Joe's mom lived with me until she died the last four years of her life. And we call her Gramsci. And we used to, to laugh about if we weren't a part of this church, we'd cut our hair off like boys and pierce our ears. And so when I pierced my ears, they put the gun to my ear. And I said, this one's for you, Gramsci. So that was, um, that was nine months after I left. So each step, taking off long underwear, choosing to wear pants over skirts, wearing a little bit shorter blouse instead of a blouse that covered my butt. Um, all those seem so natural. You just put something on, you know? But for me, it was, and for the kids, watching my kids change their dress and going, oh, are you sure you're going to wear a tank top? Because I didn't want to shame them or question all of their choices. I wanted them to feel like they were being supported in their new choices, but to still have guidelines. 
and I realized that as an FLDS mom, I hadn't really parented my kids. I just told them to be obedient and keep sweet. The answer to every question was, well, you just need to keep sweet. Go say your prayers. Where was the coping? How did we deal with real life and real feelings? We didn't. And to this day, I won't say to my kids, be obedient. I don't use that word anymore. What makes you cry remembering that? Um, mainly Gramsci. <laughs> I just... She was such a powerful influence in my life. She helped me get my feet under me. She helped me become the strong woman I am today. She used to tell me things like, don't you put up with anybody's crap? <laughs> and I'm like, Gramsci! <laughs> and she kept asking questions when everything was going crazy here. She kept saying, I don't understand this. Why is this? And why is that? And why is the other thing? And I said, when are you going to learn to stop asking questions? She slammed on the table so hard. And she said, when I'm in my grave, I'll be asking questions. <laughs> and so <laughs> she helped me to ask questions, to stop just taking whatever was given to me as the gospel truth and just ask questions. And so I'm, I'd love to have her here to ask questions. The last 15 years have been overwhelming. But coming out of a, a church where the community is so bound together and you have so much support, and then leaving that community and just being like, tumbleweeds just getting blown around and you don't know where you're going to land or if that's safe if you do land and are you making any right decisions for anything you know I was 42 and Joe was 44 when we left the church and we had never made a decision on our own yes our day-to-day -day decisions but he never took a job he didn't ask if he should take we didn't buy a vehicle we didn't ask if we should buy we didn't go on a vacation we didn't ask if we should go and then now we're out there and we're renting a house and looking for a place to buy and we had no one to ask. We were in our 40s. And you kind of feel like a fool. You're just lost. So, And every choice that you make, every decision you make, you can't say, well, it was God's will. It was my will. And then I had to be okay with that choice. And also any consequences that came with that choice, I couldn't just say, well, it didn't work because God didn't want it to, or it did work because God wanted it to. Now we just had to learn how to be okay with our choices. I'm crying a lot because I relate, like, in my own small way. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I had three years where I just had no idea which way it was up. Yep. Um, what kept you going through that time? My kids. My kids kept me going. So I had three boys that had already left the church, and so I took seven kids with me. And those three boys, one of them in particular, came back to me and said, So when did you lie to me? Did you lie when you were in the church, or did you lie when you left the church? Because you told me this was right, and all the decisions you ever made in my life was based around this church. And now here you are making different decisions. So when did you lie? And I said, I never lied. I gave you the very best of me, and I gave you all of my knowledge at the time. 
And so I don't feel like I've lied ever. I did the very best I knew how, and now I know better. At the time, I had five, six kids that were still in school. And I said, I have an opportunity. These kids have an opportunity to have schooling, to go to college, to do all of these things. And he says, yeah, what about your first four? You didn't give them that opportunity. We didn't get all that. And so there was a lot of anger. And all I could do is say, I'm sorry. I honestly did the very best I knew how. Like Shirley Draper and Terrell Musser and Elisa Wall, Donnie and Jessup worked hard to build a life outside of Short Creek. And also like them, she couldn't quite leave Short Creek alone. She started a job with families who had left the church, but still lived in Short Creek. And that brought her back to the community on a regular basis. And so I had been talking to the moms and saying, what's going on here? What do you need? And that lack of community was so prevalent, so heartbreaking. They just needed people, and they needed to feel like there was a community. Three years after they left, Dania and Joe hosted a big Thanksgiving dinner in their new house in the St. George area. The party was filled with friends and even a few family members. For Dania, it felt warm, like her family had finally found their place. But then, just a month later at Christmas, Joe said, I want to go home. And I'm like, what do you mean you want to go home? We're home. We just signed a contract on this place. And he's like, no, like, the mountains are calling me back. Like, I need to go home. And I'm like, are you nuts? Why would you ever want to go back there? And he said, just do me a favor. Write a list of all the pros and all the cons of moving back and not moving back. So when I was making that pros and cons list, part of the pros were that we needed to build a community. Was there a moment when, you know, you made your list? Was there a moment there where you're like, Oh, shit, I'm going. Oh, I know. There was a moment that was like, I don't care what pros and cons say. Like, rip it up. (laughs) Hide this thing. But once he had planted that seed of, I want to go home, and I really started to think about it, I was like, you know what? We have been out of our element in St. George since we got here. We just didn't fit in. The kids didn't fit in at school. They felt like outsiders, and that was really hard on them. And they were like, none of our cousins are here, and we don't have any family here. And by then, we had had more family leave the church here, and they had started to come back. After everything Donia had done to get out of Shore Creek, it might sound crazy that she wanted to go back. But I've been through the same thing. You know that time I told Donia about right after I left Mormonism and everything felt upside down? I also moved away then, from my extra-conservative home state of Utah to the liberal, weed-filled mountains of Northern California. I'd had two drinks in my whole life. I'd never said the F word, and my toes still curled awkwardly if I saw a sex scene in a movie. But I thought that if I changed my location, I could change who I was. I thought it would feel better to be around people who believed what I did. But it didn't. At my job, my coworker mocked Mormons for believing in God, and then, minutes later, talked casually about praying to the moon goddess. My other coworker told me that the Bible was full of superstition, but refused to hang out with anyone with a son in Scorpio. I know, I know, this sounds like a stereotype reel, but that was sort of the point. I'd moved to this place because I'd wanted to live in the exact opposite of the one I'd been raised in. I wanted to surround myself with enlightened hippies and learn their ways. 
but I just found myself feeling confused. I'd fought long and hard to be a good, Bible-hating atheist, but now, around what I thought would be my people, I suddenly felt totally and deeply alone. I just wanted to go home. So a few months later, I did. So I get why Donia and Joe packed up and went back. Because sometimes it's just better to be around people who get you, even if they don't agree with you. Sometimes you just want to be home. We needed to go back and and be with people that understood who we were and where we came from and why we think the way we think. Three years after they'd moved, Dania and Joe packed up again. This time, they weren't running away from Short Creek. They were running right toward it. But the community they were moving back to didn't look anything like the community they'd left. You had people that were going to their houses being arrested. Don't steal somebody else's land, please. We want our community back. They've been determined to get rid of us. I know the FLDS do not want me here, and that's okay. They can feel that way. But I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. That's next time on Unfinished Short Creek. Unfinished Short Creek is a co-production of Critical Frequency and Witness Docs. Our team includes Amy Westervelt, John Delore, Abigail Keel, Ash Sanders, Peter Clowney, and me, Sarah Ventry. Chris Bannon is Stitcher's chief content officer. Our fact checker on this episode is Amy Westervelt. Our production assistant in Short Creek is Araya Hammond. Our original score was composed and performed by Allison Leighton Brown, with Ollie Samlin on pedal steel and Dan Brannigan on trumpet. Thanks to NPR member station KJZZ. This episode includes tape from interviews I did while working there in 2016 and 2017. And of course, we are so grateful to all the people of Shore Creek who shared their stories with us. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.